Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast, brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. Dr. Bill Kanaski here again on a solo podcast. Local time, here, here we go again, 4.15 a.m. Eastern. God, why do I do this to myself? <clears throat> That's all the time I have. <clears throat> and to add insult to injury, it's actually... Um, it's Easter morning, doing a podcast on a holiday. I mean, that's called dedication, folks. Really love my audience, our audience. <clears throat> Dr. Wood is soundly asleep right now, but he's probably going to have to get up a little earlier, uh, uh, you know, today because he's got to set out the Easter baskets for his kids. <clears throat> Let's talk about that. I mean, I'm just going to start with the rant right now. Again, another Hallmark holiday here where they've just gotten their claws into you. Um, you know, the whole Santa thing for Christmas is bad enough. I mean, think about this. You just openly lie to your children for 12, 13 years. You tell them some fat guy has got a sleigh and reindeer and, the, and somehow the fat dude gets down the, the chimney. He would go down a chimney too. That's like a really odd way, particularly if you have a fire going, it's December. I mean, family's cold. <clears throat> Speaking about putting safety as your top priority, Santa ain't doing that. Going down a chimney is not safe. That's not safe. And think about the liability there for the homeowner. Santa gets stuck. Santa comes down head first, has a you know C2 spinal injury. Man, that's a nuclear verdict right there. Gosh, it's really, it's crazy stuff. But, you know, you tell your kids all this bullshit, right? <laughs> And then they become 12, 13, 14. They figure out you've been lying to them for over a decade. And a lot of them get mad. But at least it's a sellable story, I think, right? In fact, I mean, you get on the NORAD weather radar. Right? Oh, we've, we've got Santa on the radar, kids. He's in, <laughs> he's in Chile right now. He's in, uh, he's in Argentina. And he's heading, he better get to bed. I mean, it's a sellable story. And then you get to this Easter thing. Okay, first off, you got a rabbit. How do you explain? Remember, the rabbit is going to drop off these plastic Easter eggs, right? Filled full of candy and money. I'll get to the candy thing in a second. <clears throat> and you, you, the kid wakes up and they're surprised and they have these great things in their Easter baskets. Well, first off, it's, a, it's not a sellable story. It's a horrible thing. Let's go at a legal standpoint. You're trying to explain this to your kids. You're giving an opening statement to your kids. <clears throat> And the first thing that you have to admit to is this is not this is not St. Nick. This is not a human being. This is an animal. This is a rabbit. This is a rabbit. Well, how's the rabbit get into your house? Like if your kid starts cross-examining you, you're in trouble. Daddy, how's the rabbit get into the house? See, at least you can say, well, Santa comes down the chimney, son. Okay, comes down the chimney and, and he parks the sled with the reindeer on the roof. Then he goes back up the chimney and he goes to the next house to deliver the kid. Okay, there's a story there. There's a narrative, folks. <laughs> there is a narrative. Then you get to Easter. It's like, I don't know how this, <laughs> know how this goddamn bunny gets in, the, gets in the living room. It's kind of scary, kind of creepy, too. Kind of creepy having an animal just jumping around. My dog would never allow this, I'll tell you that much. Another great cross-examination question for, for the parents there. Well, how come the dog doesn't go crazy when the rabbit comes in with the Easter egg? Oh, God, it's terrible. <clears throat> and do you, do you notice the other thing? These Hallmark holidays, they all involve candy. 
And I mean a lot of candy. Folks, the number one problem in our country right now, from a health perspective, ding, 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 diabetes, folks. And for all of these holidays, what do we do? We are just pumping these kids full of chocolate and sugar. Wonderful. Boy, what a, what a feel-good story. Man, I am bad. I'm bad over the holidays. <laughs> so my wife goes out and gets my third. He's going to be 14 here. He knows all this. Still gets him an Easter basket. And he's an athlete. This kid is a stud. Him and I lifted weights yesterday together. He's all about nutrition. And what does she do? She gets him an Easter bag full of, basket full of candy, chocolate. God, every dentist on the planet's like, yes, yes. Yeah. I think dentists, that's what I think. I think endocrinologists and dentists came up with these holidays with all the sugar and the chocolate and the tooth decay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Local time 420. I had to get that out of my system. <clears throat> you know, the reason I've been, I guess, nasty habit of waking up at 3.30 most mornings of the week and then my head starts going and like i gotta get up because you know i gotta write something i gotta do a podcast <laughs> can't go back to sleep that's okay though because now i got quiet everybody's in bed i can do the podcast <laughs> and what are we going to talk about today you're going to talk about two things today that are very unrelated <laughs> but i think important to witness testimony <clears throat> number one the danger of long answers at deposition or trial at trial, when your witness is given these long, you know, two paragraph answers, the jury can't follow. Information saturation, it's too much information. And the jury gets bored. I mean, they get bored and they should be bored. Their attention spans are five seconds, short term memory capacity, five seconds. So you got five seconds to speak. That's one, maybe two sentences. Wait for the next question. Jury can follow, but deposition is terrible. It's and it's a sin at deposition. I read them all the time where it's a very simple question. Then the witness gives a three paragraph, you know, or the or the the answer starts on page 37 and ends on page 39. I've seen it all, folks. <clears throat> and there's several dangers here uh, with these uh, with these long answers that witnesses love to give. God's terrible. Uh, so number one it always leads every single time to the witness opening a door that otherwise would not have been open okay remember at deposition you're not there to win the case you can't win a deposition you can lose it that's what happens every time they open up they bring up some new information that plaintiff's counsel had no idea about and then that opens up the door to 30 more minutes of questioning. This is how a four-hour depth turns into a six-hour depth. And the problem, it's a brain problem. It's a brain problem because the witness, by giving the long answer, thinks they're doing a good job. They think they're doing a good job. And so it's reinforced, okay? It's like an auto-reinforcement. Your own brain reinforces it. And as you're screwing things up, your brain actually thinks that you're doing a really good job. Um, yeah, volunteering information, opening up these new doors. 
leads to longer depositions, more cognitive fatigue, right? More cognitive fatigue for the witness. It makes for a much longer day. And you're, you're burning fuel. Oh, man, mental fuel. You only have so much. And these long answers are just, again, so dangerous just because uh, you leave yourself exposed to more to more questions. Let's move on to the next point, which is another. Um, it, it's opening the, it, you're like inviting count. That's why this pivoting thing sucks. Oh God, does pivoting suck. I'm serious. You tell your witness to pivot, you should be shot. You should be disbarred. Because what you're doing is you're inviting, think about it, you're inviting counterattack. Inviting counterattack. And taking the bait. And you're, 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 you're walking right into the trap. A, I've talked to thousands of attorneys and talented, well, just well-seasoned cross-examiners love it, just love it when a witness tries to argue and pivot away from a fact and go someplace else, like a politician, like a politician. That's where, the, that's where all this shit came from. <laughs> it's so ineffective. It's ineffective for politicians, number one. <laughs> but really ineffective for witnesses. And so what you do is you invite counterattack. Yeah, but, and then you go on your two paragraph rant on the things that you want to talk about. Volunteer, just, it's, it's just, it's just really, really awful, but you're inviting the counterattack, giving the plaintiff's counsel um, everything he or she wants. And then it's going to turn into a battle, turn into an argument and uh, it's, uh, it's contagious. Once the witness starts, it's really hard to stop. And so again, the whole purpose, whether it be a trial or deposition, is you wanna play the game, right? You wanna play the game. You don't wanna get into an argument because what does that do? Fight or flight, amygdala hijack, then throw in that hippo hippocampus, <clears throat> that amygdala hippocampus circuit. And before you know it, you get a witness that's emotional, on edge, and they're fighting or they're flighting. It's very, very bad. We want to extinguish. I teach witnesses how to extinguish counterattack opportunities. <laughs> extinguish them. Extinguish them. How do you do that? Short, concise answers. Use the period. Cross-examiners hate the period. They love the comma. Oh, do they love the comma? <clears throat> Because every time you use the comma, something else comes out of your mouth, and then they take whatever came out of your mouth, and they beat you relentlessly over the head with it. <clears throat> Unbelievable. Limit counterattack by using the period. It's, it's devastatingly effective. Devastatingly effective. But no, the brain wants to use a comma. <clears throat> yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. No, because, no, because, no, because. It's exactly what a cross-examiner wants. So let's not give that to the cross-examiner. It's okay to say, yes, that's correct, period. No, I disagree, period. Force the questioner to go someplace else. Make them burn some energy. But see, we just don't talk like that in society. We don't. You can't do that at home. You'll be divorced. <clears throat> Talk like that at work, you'll be fired. Go out to a bar or a party with your friends. Start using periods instead of commas. You're going to lose all your friends. 
because you're going to be boring. See, socially, it's okay to volunteer information. It's it's kind of fun, actually. Those are good gregarious people. Fine, but witness starts doing it really, really bad. <clears throat> really, really bad. We've talked about this a million times. Okay, let me say it again. Pivoting sucks. I th- I, I think it's okay, let me. Okay, sucks is not really a professional word. Um, I think it's unethical. <clears throat> it's unethical to teach witness to do that because I don't think a witness can do it consistently over a four to eight hour deposition. It's impossible. And you're leading them right into the trap. Uh, You can be honest, you can be truthful, and you can also be concise. Make the question and do some damn work. You're not there to teach. You're not there to argue. You're certainly not there to defend. Embrace conduct. Okay. Embrace the defensive stance. And then, Shut up. Good God. I'm telling you. It's so hard for witnesses, too. That's why I'm a neuropsychologist doing it. I got to rewire the brain. I got to rewire the brain. Third reason these these long answers are so dangerous is they start to become disorganized. Okay, so let's think about this. Our goal for the witness to train them is to maximize cognition, to strive for accurate, effective answers. Okay. Not long defensive answers, accurate. Okay. Accurate. Okay. And concise, right to the point, being honest, being truthful. That's what we're striving for. You start getting to those, Paragraph, two paragraph, I've, se- I've seen the four paragraph answer. It, the answer gets disorganized, okay? And the reason why is you haven't paid what I call, new term here that we're going to call the cognitive price. Yep, just coined a new phrase, just coined a new phrase. And now I'm going to have to write a paper about this. Man, I love coming up with this shit. This is great. But it's true. You got to pay the piper folks cognitively you have got to pay the cognitive price and what that means is you got to pay it on every question so what happens is your 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 witness starts giving these long answers and what are they really doing they are answering three or four questions at the same time in one answer meaning they're not paying the cognitive price for the additional three questions they're answering. And that's why it always gets off track. Okay. That's why it gets off track. You have to pay the cognitive price for each individual answer you're about to give. And these long ass answers Never answer the question on the table or they may answer, but then they go beyond that question and they start answering different questions than the same answer. (laughs) Meaning not only have you minimized the cognition, not only have you, 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 you've, you've taken something and ran out of the store without paying the price. Okay. It's, it's cognitive shoplifting folks. And then what happens to the rest of the answer? Well, it stinks. Why? (laughs) You haven't put it in. You've eliminated cognition. Talking spontaneously. 
So you take that, you know, two paragraph solid answer. That should be five to six questions that you force the examiner to ask you. And by doing that, think of this advantage. You have the opportunity to pay that cognitive price, which will cost you two to five seconds of your life. Okay, to maximize cognition, to get the accurate, effective, concise answer. Okay, when you give the two paragraph answer, the three paragraph answer, you have cognitively shoplifted. And you're going to get caught every time. You're going to get caught every time. You got to pay the cognitive price, folks. God, local time, 4.30 a.m. I'm coming up. I'm coming up with new innovative shit at 4.30 a.m. on a holiday. See, I'm, acro- I'm right across the driveway in my, in my man cave where this is my podcast studio. <clears throat> See, right now there's a rabbit in my, my goddamn living room, right? That's scary. I don't hear my dog barking. But there's some there's some bunny in my living room filling up a basket full of plastic eggs with the funny enough with with some cash. Right. Because it's not all about candy, especially the older kids want cash. It's my money that he's putting into the eggs. I mean, God, I ain't like rabbits to begin with. Is it Easter rabbit or Easter bunny? I don't know the difference between a rabbit and a bunny. God. I love this podcast. This is so phenomenal. We can go from neuroscience to diabetes to rabbits, you know, breaking into your house to give a lot of chocolate and calories and sugar to your kids. So they get diabetes and have tooth decay. This is is terrible. It's just terrible. I remember one year I got up, I was young and I looked at my Christmas stocking and there was an apple. There's an apple. I was I was epically pissed, epically pissed. I'm like, did I do something wrong here? I mean, the the you know they always say you gotta get coal in your that maybe that's the northeastern PA thing where I grew up. You're gonna get coal in your stocking if you're not good. I got an apple in my stocking. I'm like, holy shit, God, I must have pissed Santa off. God, I gotta be, gotta get, get gotta get my grades up so I stop getting healthy fruit in my my uh. And my stocking. Oh boy. I think it's just the 4 a.m. thing getting me delirious. I love it though. <clears throat> okay, so folks, let's do this. <clears throat> let's teach our witnesses to pay the cognitive price and to not cognitively shoplift because you're going to get caught. You're going to get, and how are you going to get caught? You're going to say something stupid. You're going to open a door that otherwise should have never been open. You're going to say something inaccurate. Why? Haven't paid the cognitive price. Let's force that questioner to break these issues down. And then you can maximize cognition, pay that cognitive price, pay the full price. Trust me, it's a great investment. Why? It leads to accuracy least to accuracy, which is the number one thing you need. And number two, eliminates counterattack. Okay? Eliminates counterattack. Taking weaponry, weaponry away from your enemy. Okay? 
let me say it one more time. God, do not teach your witnesses to pivot. They may get it a couple of times. I'll tell you, they may get it and they may stick the landing. Not doing it over three, four, five, six, seven hours. They're not. Uh-uh. <clears throat> no, they're going to step in it and you're inviting counterattack. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. And it's still out there. It's still out there. My God. Gosh, it's baffling. Absolutely baffling. All right. <clears throat> Plowing straight ahead. Let's get into another issue that's unrelated. We're just going to talk about witness stuff today. <clears throat> been, I've been worn out on the jury psychology stuff. Worn out. <clears throat> I like the witness stuff. So you're, you're stuck with witness stuff today, folks. <laughs> if you don't like it, go over to Joe Rogan. By the way, I listen to Joe Rogan all the time. <clears throat> Great stuff. <clears throat> Highly entertaining. Um, but yeah, if you, if you don't, don't want to listen to really scientific, scientifically proven witness issues, then yeah, maybe Rogan, <clears throat> maybe Rogan's for you. Um, <clears throat> anchor bias. I just gave a speech in Philadelphia a couple of days ago, <clears throat> and this came up. We put a lot of focus on this. So anchor bias, let's review what anchor bias is. Very powerful psychological construct that... <clears throat> occurs in witness testimony and this is back to the whole um safety 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 first right <sighs> dehydrated this morning <clears throat> gotta get hydrated <clears throat> so as you recall the reptile the reptilian sequence always starts with a series of general safety rule questions <clears throat> and combined with general danger rule questions. And they're all very obvious. You've all heard of them. And the questioner wants, yes, 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 yes. You know, you would agree with me that company XYZ, your company, always puts safety first. Safety is the top priority with <clears throat> anything that you do at company ABC, right? And um, everybody says yes. That's problem number one. And then they switch it over to danger rule questions. And with the company, also, it's a, it's the same. It's a different side of the same coin. You know what the company wants to do is to do everything possible to eliminate risk. Correct. Risk to its customers, risk to its employees. Because the last thing a company wants to do is to needlessly endanger the general public. Or the customers, you'd agree with that, right? <clears throat> Every witness, yes, 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 yes. And we covered this before. That's because the cognitive schema, here's safety, danger, risk, harm. And because of the way the brain's pre-programmed and a lot of the stupid uh, marketing uh, and safety training, <clears throat> the brain automatically wants to confirm the cognitive schema and the word yes comes flying out of their mouth. So the number one thing I need to do with a witness, I need to break down the cognitive schema with a sledgehammer and I need to rebuild it. So things like safety, risk, danger, harm have different and more realistic, not idealistic, more realistic definitions, okay? <clears throat> Very possible, but that's the first step. Now in that sequence, I have to get the general 
and you get the uh, safety rule questions, the danger rule questions. They're very general. The next step is to do specific safety rule and specific danger rule questions. Okay. And this is what sets the anchor bias, which is so damn dangerous. So specific safety rule questions. It's when you're tying conduct to outcome, you get more specific. Okay. And the reason why trucking company X puts safety first is because you want to have safer, better, more effective drivers on the road. Correct. You want to eliminate accidents on the road, correct? You want to do everything you can to put safety first and decrease risk, okay, to keep the general public safe on our roadways, correct? And they so they tie, they tie conduct to outcome, and it's more specific. It's a more specific question. And then you got to say yes to those. If you said yes to the preceding questions, that's why first steps first, break down that cognitive schema, rebuild it. And then the witness starts saying yes to these specific safety and danger rule questions. This is where the anchor bias forms. Okay. So now your witness is locked in. Okay. They've been reptiled. Trust at this point, they've been reptiled. They're locked in. And the reason it's called anchor bias is because cognitively, you can't, you, can't be, you can't move. You can't be flexible. You're locked in to the general and specific safety rules. You're locked in. So now during subsequent questioning, now everybody try to follow me because this is the most complex thing I cover in all these speeches. In subsequent questioning, your brain is going to answer subsequent questions based on the anchor bias that has been formed rather than answering the actual question. <clears throat> Let me say that again. What the brain will do, once, those, once, once the witness agrees to the reptile safety rules, general and specific, the anchor bias is set. Now in subsequent questioning, Okay. Cognition will be contaminated. And the witness will answer subsequent questions based on their previous answers in the deposition, as opposed to the honest, effective answer. <clears throat> it's absolutely deadly. It's absolutely deadly. And there's no way out of it. Once it's set, once the anchor drops, it's going right to the bottom of the lake. <clears throat> and that cognitive boat is going nowhere. So how do we avoid this? Again, step number one, change the cognitive schema. Break it down, rebuild it. Safety is one of the many goals at the company. What's well, the top priority, correct? I, I disagree. It's not how it works at our company. How does it work? We don't see it as a priority. In fact, we don't have priorities as companies. We have, we have values. We have goals. And safety is one of those, along with many other. Okay, with all these goals and values, I mean, safety is ranked number one. No, there's no ranked order list, sir, ma'am. <clears throat> safety, along with these other things, all equally important. Okay. Let's talk about that, too. Jeez. So during the speech, <clears throat> the word priority is a killer. 
Because priority by definition implies a list, number one. Number two, priorities change. Okay, obviously right now, sleep and rest is not Dr. Kanaski's priority. What is my priority? Doing a damn podcast on a holiday morning at 4.15 for this audience that I dearly love. That's my priority. <clears throat> is this going to be my priority tomorrow at 4.15? I hope to hell not. <laughs> right? I hope to hell not. <clears throat> priority is going to change based on circumstances. See, values and goals really don't change. They're always there. So you hear the word priority and deposition, right? You automatically reject that. Now, now, unless your dumbass website, your dumbass corporate website has the word safety is a top priority all over the damn thing. Good God, that's another issue. I do these speeches. I have 250 people in the audience in Philadelphia. Everybody's going to their website during my speech going, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. And they're finding all this terrible language that the plan for is going to use against you. <laughs> right. That will set the anchor bias in really good, too. So stay away from the priority. It's a goal. It's a core value. It's an element in what we do. Okay. And then the witness doesn't say yes, 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 yes to all the safety role questions that come up front. Well, then when it gets to the anchor bias questions, your witness can say, eh, it depends. Not necessarily. Not always, so, you know, sometimes, maybe, <clears throat> and totally get away with it. Why? <clears throat> There's no anchor set. Okay, the cognitive scheme has been changed. It's so much easier to show this to you, you guys visually. I like to whiteboard this, or I have a couple slides on this <laughs> to show you. But really, it's the reptilian sequencing of the questions that get you. That's what gets to witness. So what we want to do is avoid the anchor bias. So then in subsequent questioning, your witnesses say, no, I disagree. And they don't look like a hypocrite. They don't look like they're contradicting themselves because they never said yes in the first place to the rules. We have to reject the rules. Okay. Eliminate the anchor bias. And then subsequent questioning say, I disagree. That's incorrect. It depends on the circumstance. And, you know, every situation is different. And the witness can get away with that. How? Because the anchor bias was never set and the cognitive schema was changed. <clears throat> God, this is a lot of neuropsychology for 4.30 in the morning, folks. I, ap I apologize to melt. Speaking of neuro, it, your brains are probably melted by now. <clears throat> wow. Wow. Well, I think that's enough for the podcast. Uh, I have no idea what I'm going to do with myself. I'm not, I'm not going to go over to the main house and <clears throat> interrupt any rabbits hopping around my living room with <clears throat> plastic eggs full of money. My money, by the way. Whose money you think something? You think the Easter Bunny's investing in the market? No. It's my money. God, I'm a nightmare over the holidays. Absolute nightmare. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope it was kind of funny, too. The purpose of this podcast is to mix in some humor and entertainment with the neuroscience. And uh, we're signing up more guests. Uh, we're getting a lot of good feedback on this podcast from audience members, particularly new ones that go back and start from the beginning. Um, and if you remember, I started this podcast in a hotel room. Uh, I think it, I think that one was at five o'clock in the morning. Uh, uh, I'm really sure that was early. Um, and that was during COVID. 
<clears throat> that was during COVID. And then I started doing them on my back porch with the beautiful Florida landscape behind me. And then uh, this thing got on a roll. And what we want to do is continue to give you the defense bar, interesting things to think about, a scientific perspective, both on jury behavior and witness <clears throat> cognition, communication and performance. Um, but that's what we're bringing. We're bringing, we're bringing really heavy artillery in the form of science, in the form of neuroscience to get your witnesses where they need to be. Number one thing I do and I love it, but also got some really good artillery on the jury psychology stuff. A lot of things that you can, you can and should be doing, you know, when it comes to jury selection, trial prep. Okay. Getting those focus groups or mock trials ready, <clears throat> learning about your case through jury research, a lot of really positive things that could be going on and we'd like help with those. All right. I think I'm going to actually lift weights now. I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hit the, get the, my weight room is right over here and I'm going to crank. Uh, what am I going to crank here? I think I'm going to go with some uh, right back to our nineties rock. Go back to that. Maybe a little Pearl jam, maybe a little Nirvana. Right. And uh, I'm going to rock the house here, lift some weights and then um, spend the day with family. I think we're going to head to the beach later. Great thing about Florida. You throw a rock, right? Throw a rock. You hit two things. If you throw a rock, you're going to hit a golf course or a beach. So I think we're going to go to the beach, hang out, not think about work. Try not to think about work. But I uh, hope everybody has today but the, by the time this is posted easter will be well over hope everybody has a great holiday this is dr bill kanaski litigation psychology podcast we will see you next time bye <laughs>